0: It was coming, Arsenal's late winning goal and a pair of results that bring our sky-high mood back down to earth, but only ever so slightly. It has been quite the eight days for Manchester United, from euphoria and elation in the derby to last-minute frustration at Celeste Park and last-minute dismay in North London. And yet, there is an unerring faith in the direction of this team under this manager. A very warm welcome to the Manchester United weekly podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Harry Robinson and with me as always is Jack Tate. On the show today we'll review that 3-2 defeat against Arsenal. We'll preview United's next match in the League Cup semi-final at Nottingham Forest on Wednesday night. We'll give you your regular extensive youth, loan and United women roundup. Mark Skinner's side moved to the top of the Women's Super League this weekend with a win against Reading. More on that later and a goal from Ahmad in a derby up in the North East. We'll play, guess the player too, in the middle of the show. Our patrons will get a bonus Q&A where we talk a bit about Marcus Rashford and a bit about United's overall ambitions going forward. Jack, let's let's begin. Your first thoughts on Sunday afternoon's game.
1: To be honest, I think coming out of it, I think it felt at once like a sign of how far this team has come and also how far we still have to go. That <laughs> okay. was really my biggest takeaway from it. Yeah, because
0: could end the episode now.
1: But <laughs> <laughs> like you think about that first half, we went pretty much toe-to-toe with Arsenal. They were definitely more threatening than we were. We didn't really create any good chances, but with a lot more controlled possession than I ever expected that we would going into this game. We very clearly were more in the game in possession than we were against Man City. We were not sitting back to any real degree. And it felt like it was a relatively even game for the majority of the first half. Like I said, albeit with Arsenal creating more actual chances than we were. But then the second half was by far the the clearest example you could ever want that this team isn't quite yet at the level of title challengers and and title winners potentially. And that's something that we knew already. You know, you look at the first half, we would not have been able to get as close to potential league winners, league leaders this time last season. And this time last season, we were getting beat 4-5-0 by league leaders in Liverpool and Man City. So this team has come a long way, but there are still a few levels that we just don't have yet.
0: Yeah, on a very basic le- I mean, the most kind of low expectations level, the fact that we came under the cost for so long at the end and, and I think we'll both have some complaints about how United allowed that to happen. But given how we have capitulated in the past, the fact that we not only went ahead while under quite a lot of pressure, but then came back from 2-1 and in the end held out until until the very end. There are criticisms of that, but that at the very lowest level of expectations is how far we've come. The, the manner in which it ended was really, really poor. And I guess what's so frustrating is the fact that we are a team on the up and we know we're a team in, in transition, as, as we always say, and have done basically since this podcast began, because United have always been in transition mm-hmm. for the last decade. But, we were so close, and it was such fine margins uh, in, in defeat. And it feels much like Crystal Palace. It feels like a another wasted opportunity that, in the end, ultimately, in a few months, we won't mind too much about. I don't think we'll we'll see how how things pan out over the next few months, and whether these two results will really affect where United finish. Perhaps they will. But coming off the back on it, the day after, it's it's that frustration that we went toe to toe with the league's best. And it was, it was just at the very end, we, we didn't have that concentration and focus and commitment to detail, uh, which is something Lissandra Martinez referenced post-match to see it through.
1: And attention to detail and the biggest thing, to be honest, was I think this was the first time in quite a while that our squad depth was exposed, a lack of squad depth. That to me really was the biggest difference. Maybe not between the two teams because Arsenal were already dominating before your substitutions really came to be a part of it. But it was, I think, the biggest inhibiting factor in United not being able to respond when Arsenal really sort of turned the wick up in the second half. You know, with Casemiro out, you look at our options off the bench in midfield, which is where we were just getting killed all second half and, we, and it was Fred. Yeah. And, and you know, that that's really it. And even in, in attack, you know, with Martial injured, you've got an 18-year-old Garnacho who can come on, who we know... Can produce in these games. He did it a week ago against Man City, but relying on him as basically your one option in attack is is not what you want. And you bring Fred on. You having to keep Christian Eriksen on the pitch, who I think you know clearly was kind of flagging by that point. You have to then shift Bruno Fernandez out to the right hand side. It, there's there, there just isn't the depth in this United squad at the moment to handle even just one player being out, especially when you're being you know kind of run run ragged by a, a very very good Arsenal team, and that. Ex- that was exposed in the second half, and it stopped us from being able to respond.
0: Where do you think the game was won and lost? Midfield,
1: tactically, yeah, I think. To, well, so uh, two things. Yes, I think it was in midfield in the second half, in particular. And, and actually, I don't, I don't think that our midfield necessarily did anything wrong. But I think what killed us is that Arsenal very cleverly used Inchenko in a very, very smart way. In a similar way to what Man City ended up getting freedom against us after in the second half of the derby last weekend. He was playing inside a lot and we just weren't ever able to deal with that overload. Ansi didn't really know whether to cover him or to stay out wide. And they, they effectively then had 4v3 in midfield. You know, they had Xhaka who would pull out wide, pulling either McTominay or Eriksen out with him, which would then create space for Erdegaard. We, we just had no answers to, to the way that they moved the ball and the way that Zinchenko really kind of pulled the strings in there. And then the other part of it to us is just that p- partnership between Erdegaard and Saka. I mean, they were clearly the, the two... In terms of partnerships, the the two best players on the pitch, there was no other link-up that was getting anywhere close to the level that they were producing. It felt like every time Odegaard got on the ball, Arsenal were creating great chances. So, yeah, it probably was in midfield where we lost the game, but I don't think I could point at any one of our midfielders and say they weren't good enough on the day. I think it was just that we, as a team, we didn't figure out a way to deal with the the, the way that Arsenal approached the game tactically, especially with the use of Zinchenko.
0: Yeah. He made a big influence and it's interesting because from, so I was in, in the away end on Sunday, I find it really interesting the different perspectives you can get from watching at home and watching in the crowd and A, you're so close to the pitch in, in, at the away end or not close to the pitch but kind of level with the eye line with the pitch that it's often quite hard at the Emirates in that position to really see the kind of details of the game. You're more getting a sense of, of the flow of the game and to me, watching in the away end the first half felt it, it felt like we were getting really dominated. Is that the sense that you got?
1: I felt like we were getting dominated in terms of chances being created, yeah, but I didn't feel like we were being dominated in terms of the general flow of the game. We had a fair amount of pretty, very controlled possession where, you know, we moved the ball relatively well through midfield and in defence. Arsenal pressed us high up a few times and De Gea's kicking certainly hindered us in that aspect a little bit. It just felt like we weren't really a- ever able to to get anywhere near Arsenal's box, I mean, the, obviously the goal was a first goal was a piece of brilliance by Rashford. To be fair, I thought Vedders did well in the first half with some great hold up play, but our right hand side, Anthony, had a really poor game. Mm. It, it just felt like we weren't ever really able to threaten Arsenal. But I didn't feel, I didn't feel like the the, the general flow of the game was that we, we were being dominated. But it did feel like they threatened a lot more than we ever did in the first half.
0: Definitely worth reflecting on that Rashford goal. I mean, we've spoken about his form and how much we're enjoying it. But that level of quality, I'm, wow. <laughs> to, to spin again, yeah. at that point, Arsenal were definitely having the better of the game. No, I don't think... I can't I'm pretty sure I, our expected before, goals at half-time was like the goal
1: 0.11. <laughs>
0: and to just pull that out. <laughs> yeah, it really felt... Football's so funny, isn't it? Because if United draw that game, a lot of the chat will be about Rashford's goal and and that kind of quality say United goes to win that game 2-1 or 3-2 a lot of the chat would be about kind of Rashford has been in great form but this is where he like dragged United forward and and whatever but it it doesn't work like that for obvious reasons because the conversation's always dictated by the result but that goal to do it out of nowhere is just just brilliant it reminded me of the the one he scored away at PSG a couple of years ago where yeah. you just thought you know and and that was it that was kind of the problem in that we were very reliant on him. You mentioned Anthony having a poor game, I agree. I think Veghorst held the ball up well but looked leggy at times yeah. uh, as he did it at, at Crystal Palace. And a lot of the time it it's again it's so difficult with him because of, because of his height, you expect him to be good in the air. And we were told before he signed that he wasn't, but it's still it's still just surprising, isn't it? It means his hold up play with his feet is at times really good, but you're just consistently thinking, and, and this was the problem in, in the second half, particularly when he was getting, getting more and more tired and so was Kristen Eriksen and a few others. You just thought, United haven't, there's no way out here because you, there's no one to hit up front and we've got this six foot whatever man and we can't hit him. It's a strange, really strange situation.
1: Let me start actually from the, from the Rashford goal first. Yeah. I mean, brilliant like honestly brilliant the, the, he's one of those players Rashford I think that when he's on form you almost have you have so much confidence in everything that he's going to do and he didn't have his best game against Arsenal partially because he was so isolated but when he yeah. picked up that ball after party's bad pass he's got five Arsenal players in front of him between him and the goal and I, I somehow had confidence that he was, he was going to create something there obviously what he ended up creating was unbelievably good and like you said it's it's funny how results can change narratives so much thought the same thing after the palace game in midweek that would have been you know a, a scrappy dogged dogged win that, that united got praised for for no for you know months or not months but for days after the game as it is you get can see the late free kick and it's a poor performance the wheels have falling off all this stuff with you know Rashford's goal would have gone down as a seriously iconic moment for the season if we'd have hung on at the end. As it yeah. is, it's probably going to kind of be forgotten in the defeat. On, on Weghorst, it is, it's an odd one. I felt in the second half, firstly, you're right, he did look leggy the whole game. And it feels, like I said, I, I was really impressed with his hold-up play in, this, in the first half and his link-up in particular. Some really nice balls that he played out, either to uh, Fernandez, Rashford or Anthony, which is great. You know, that's the kind of presence that we want up front. But he, I, I wonder if he just doesn't quite have the yard of pace that he needs to kind of capitalize on that because he, he, yeah. make, he has good instincts. And there was a couple of occasions we've played really really good passes out wide to Rashford or Anthony, and you can see him spin him spin to try and then get on the end of a cross or something coming in. But he just doesn't have the pace to really catch up with play. And obviously he's advanced the play because of his his good link up. And then second half, I, I just felt like he he was dropping way too deep. And I understand why because we were getting like I said we were getting dominated in midfield. But we needed his presence up front because we just kept clearing it and it just kept coming back and coming back. We had absolutely no presence there. And so he wasn't really actually helping much in midfield. He was an extra body, but obviously he's just not a midfielder. So it wasn't actually really helping that much defensively. And yeah, we just couldn't get out at all. I thought I, I was expecting him to come off the Garnacho, to be honest. Um and I yeah. was surprised that that we never made that change.
0: Yeah. I was just, I was slightly distracted when you were speaking by thinking, you mentioned the, the Rashford goal again, thinking about great goals in in defeats, i.e. Patrice Everett by Munich or um, <laughs> De Maria against Leicester in, in the 5-3. Uh, i'm going to try and think of a few more while while we continue continue speaking but yeah that was i think there's so much faith in ten hag and, and and the progress has been incredible the saw a so good stat the 23 games since 15th of september which so doesn't include wins against liverpool and arsenal there was a defeat against real sociedad and those terrible first two games of the season i don't know why they've chosen 15th of september but i'm i'm going to go with it the 23 games since then 17 wins, 3 draws, 3 defeats, a 74% win ratio. It's so it's obviously a tiny uh, sample size and but it's worth him like how much better that is than kind of every United manager ever. Unsurprisingly because it's a small, small sample size, but surprisingly because this is just not what we expected at all. But there's so much faith in him, but it did feel and it it felt a bit like this against Crystal Palace as well. And there are two reasons for it, but United just let the game, let the result slip and not just through the brilliance of Arsenal and not just through the brilliance of Michael Elise's free kick, though both of them were very good. One as a team, one as an individual, but also because we weren't really proactive in, in kind of wrestling control back in the game. We let it slide against Palace and... It felt so passive against Arsenal. We invited the pressure on us. We couldn't get out. There was no out ball. What do you think about Ten Hag's role in that? Is this a, a lesson to be learned for the future? Or are we still in that honeymoon period where you just think, ah, yeah, I've, I trust him, I don't mind?
1: Well, I think it can be both. We still are kind of in that honeymoon period. I do trust him. Yeah. But he also does have questions to answer. In my head, more for the Palace game than the Arsenal game, to be honest. I, I felt like there were... Changes that I, I maybe would have made earlier than Ten Hag did, but I don't, to be honest, I don't really think any subs that we could have made against Arsenal would have changed how that game went. It was basically, can we get lucky? And they don't, they they yeah. don't score one of those chances at the end. I don't know what we could have done with the options we had off the bench to stem that tide if, that was coming if at us. God,
0: if you, you just, it felt like the scenario for Godach to come on into after about 70 minutes. And then it got to 80 and you thought, right, we've seen out 10 minutes of this, but we're not going to see out another 15. It got to 85. And there was actually a point in, we'd been under real pressure from, I can't remember exactly, but about 70 to 84. And for the first time we got out of our area, we won a corner. And then the way we gave the ball back was, I think it was Fred and Wambasaka didn't communicate. So Wambasaka stepped back. Yeah, and they fouled Saka, didn't
1: they? And at that point at
0: 85, you suddenly thought, oh, hold on, we've got out of that bit of pressure. We might actually be able to hold on here. It was wasted. And then another five minutes went and still there was no change. And you just thought, that that felt like such a missed opportunity because we kind of had luckily ridden out 15 minutes and then we let it get away with a a lack of communication or mistake, but also not a pair of fresh legs to let let us get out of that consistent pressure.
1: Yeah, I mean- like I said, I think Garnacho should have come on. I was surprised that we didn't make that change because Veghorst was clearly was clearly struggling and just wasn't giving us any presence up front anyway. So you might as well have another player that can stretch you in behind if you're not going to have presence with a, you know, a bigger forward like Veghorst in there. I, I, I still am very sceptical whether it would have made any great difference just given how well Arsenal were playing and how tired most of our players were. But I think I, I will be a lot much more critical of Ten Hag for the way he handled the Palace game because... I mean, firstly, the, the Casemiro yellow card, you know, you talk about sort of domino effect. And I, and I understand that that's not necessarily mm. Ten Hag's fault that Casemiro made that challenge, but you felt like he probably could have brought Casemiro off a little earlier. That is also partially down to the team playing so badly in the second half that we didn't feel like we had the luxury of doing that. You know, we should have put that game away much sooner than we did. But the Arsenal game felt so important that to me, at, you know, 75, 70 minutes might be the time to bring Casemiro off avoid that yellow card situation happening in the first place. But I think, to be honest, I think what I've noticed in the second half of games when we're leading is that where we struggle is that obviously when when you have a lead and gets to the second half, teams are going to put you under more pressure because it gets a, a bit more urgent for them. You know, they aren't, they aren't going to sit back, let you have loads of the ball and then just hope to get lucky. They are going to put you under more pressure and United, just we still aren't confident enough and or don't whether it's confidence or it's just purely that we don't know how to and don't have the ability to, I don't know sort of where the balance lies between those two things. But whatever, whatever, however, whatever that balance is, we aren't able at the moment to play good football, keeping the ball constantly under pressure. And that is still, to me, the biggest reason why we struggle in these games when we're leading because yeah. against Palace... You know, Is it's that, not saying it's, they were giving
0: us... It's that fragile improvement, isn't it? Where we've seen yeah, exactly. really good, it really good improvement, but when it really comes under pressure and we saw this against City as well, but I think we a, a little bit, well, we obviously got lucky with one of the goals, but even when we were playing out from the back, there were times where we got lucky, but it's that it, it. it's still, you still don't have full faith in it, even if I'm I'm kind of buoyed by what I'm seeing yeah. in terms of progress.
1: When you saw it against Arsenal too, you know a few times in the first half, especially when we did have possession and they would put us under pressure, you know we we panic. And against Palace, I just felt like and the other thing away from home, especially the Emirates, is a bit different. But at places like Selhurst Park, the pitch is so much smaller than it is at Old Trafford, and that's that's a consideration that I often feel like goes a little bit unnoticed when when you think about the differences playing home or away in the Premier League. At Old Trafford, we've probably got 20 yards of extra space to play with when we have the ball at the back compared to Selhurst Park. Mm. It does make a big difference. And I just don't think this United team is is out of point yet. We can play well out from the back when the conditions are all in our favour. But once they start getting a little bit more difficult, I don't think we're good enough to do that. And then when we started pumping the ball long, we play right into Crystal Palace's hands. You know, they can win the second ball's stop us from getting out. I mean, we had absolutely nothing in the second half against Palace. Yeah. Until somehow Casemiro missed the ball (laughs) right at the end, after he'd already equalised. It was
0: so painful. Because me and my brother left the ground at Sellers Park. In fact, I turned to him after Elise's goal. I turned to him and a mate and said, if we win this, I think we might win the title. (laughs) Because it just felt, you just thought, if, if United concede late on like that to a great free kick and then win it, at the very last minute after a great away end and and keep this run and go on to 10 wins in a row. A, you then go into Arsenal, so confident. But also, it, it, sometimes there were just unstoppable forces. And I didn't think we would definitely win the title, but I think had United scored that, it, it's kind of, it's a ridiculous hypothetical. But anyway, that's what I said at the time. It was so frustrating, that open goal at the end, because you thought that goes in and this kind of just incredible momentum we'll just continue and continue and continue.
1: It wasn't 100% clear watching it first time how much space he actually had. I was only on the replay that I saw, I mean, there was literally no one around him.
0: Yeah, I've forgotten what uh, what you were saying before that.
1: Oh, I was saying that I think one of the reasons why we struggled, especially against Palace, was just that we aren't good enough yet to to keep the ball under any amount of pressure. And so we, we end up having to go long and we invite pressure on ourselves yeah. because we're not able to win the keep to win the ball from those, those kind of, you know, aerial battles. And then even if we do win it back, we're still not good enough to keep it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it, do, you do wonder, was Dior D'Alo fit? Was Casemiro not suspended? How different might that game have been? Yeah. Could United have, have seen it through? And the answer is very, very possibly. Have Martial been fit? But that's kind of a, a, a pointless discussion. Let's have our first guest to play a clue and then we're going to have a quick part after where we talk about what what we need going forward. Uh, so the first clue set by me this week for Jack to guess, there'll be three clues throughout the show. The quicker you get it, the, the more points you get. First clue is this. My dad worked as a bricklayer. I tried it for a day and realised I had to become a footballer. My dad worked as a bricklayer. I tried it for a day and realised I had to become a footballer. And I've, I've gone for a little... Step up this week, Jack. So I will be amazed if you get it after one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. I mean, it sounds like quite a classic sort of northern industrial, northern England industrial town kind of story. But yeah, no no way I'm getting that after that clue. Ah,
0: That comment's going to be interesting when we when we find out who it is later. Uh, (laughs)
1: Let's
0: quickly what what does this mean going forward? I think to me this represents the start of a period where we're going to have a few more frustrating results. The team looks really tired and this, <laughs> the schedule, believe it or not, is actually about to get worse. Incredibly. You can see things dropping off a fair bit. We've got a good lead in terms of the top four race as things stand. There's been results in the last week or so, two weeks, which have really helped us. Our draw at Palace looks better in the light of Newcastle only getting a draw there. That's really helpful. Spurs have had a few defeats but do do you agree are you you expecting a a kind of drop off now
1: yeah I I tweeted after the Palace game that that result felt like it could easily be the start of a of a bad run of form we've been a streaky team for a number of years and to be fair we've arguably still been a little bit streaky under 10 Hag, but the streak has just been good for very long it just felt like the not just the fact we drew at Palace, but the way that we drew at Palace, coupled with so many when I was tweeting this, up. it was before so many the game, expecting to lose, and, and that again, if you, you think about a the domino effect of a little things in the season, you think it we didn't win our Europa League group, which partially comes from the crazy handball decision against Lissandro Martinez at home in the first get group game. You know, if if we win the group, no, of course, of course, and and and. You think about all the chances that we missed in all of those games against Omenia, against Sheriff, <laughs> there were so many games yes, there that but also, you know, we should have won more than fate, we did you know, against Dad. We could have be played better. much better than we did away from home. Then that knock-on effect means the Palace game gets scheduled right before the Arsenal game, when it probably could have got rescheduled to when we're scheduled to play Barcelona now. It, it's just, everything is piling up and I think we're... yeah massively
0: <laughs> there's a couple of things we need as well like, yeah everything's piling up and Jaden Sancho's return to training we need him to come I, I, even I if he say, can only play one game on him, a week but he's not with Vegas really now so right. we can but get we we and Rastron to, come to come step back. in especially if Sancho comes thrive. back we we need so Rastron can move up front to just still be fit for more than one game or more than one half of football at
1: a time uh yeah. In terms of,
0: in some, so that's the short term. And we're just going to have to see whether, whether we're proved right or wrong. Hopefully, wrong. And, and United go on and, and continue with a really good winning run, just interrupted very occasionally by a disappointing uh, draw or defeat. Longer term, do, do these two games change anything about what you think this team needs? Or is it pretty similar to what you thought before in terms of where you'd like to see investment in the team? For me, that's probably, I think the Arsenal game showed how big the drop-off in midfield quality is from Casemiro. And Ericsson is starting to look more yeah. and more tired earlier and earlier in the games. And I was surprised he didn't come off much earlier. Yeah, so was I. But that was, I mean, that, that was quite, A, a it was a, a sign of the lack of depth in midfield. But also it was a really interesting decision from Ten Hag to take Anthony off for Fred when it could have been Fred Ferrickson or Fred for McTominay. McTominay, we were we were saying before the game, McTominay occasionally has those performances where he suddenly looks like a world beater and you think, wow, before going on a, a slightly poor run again. And we said, "Could this please, can this just be the game where McTominay <laughs> steps up and kind <laughs> of he plays? the Europa
1: League final a couple of it, years ago. Yeah,
0: just plays at a level we never thought was, was possible, but it wasn't. I th- from, from my perspective, he, he looked like a kid again. He looked like yeah. a scrawny, diving in, not great on the ball. I thought it was a, quite a poor performance from him, below the level I, I expect from him, uh, particularly in big games. Yeah, I think th- this, the key to this showed that we need better backups in midfield as well as a striker, because Veghorst, for whatever good he did, is clear so far. I don't want to say he's clearly not the answer because we didn't think he was
1: the answer anyway. But yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I think I don't think this changes any thoughts on what we need. I think what it does is it it reinforces how badly we need things. I mean, how badly we need to keep improving this squad. I think there was, and I don't get the sense from Ten Hag or anyone inside the club necessarily, but I think potentially from. The media, maybe from some fans, I think, you know, this great run of results has maybe glossed over to some degree how fragile the progress yeah. that we've made is. We have made a lot of progress, as we said at the start of the season, at the start of the episode. I, th- I think that is not up for any kind of debate, but it does only take, you know, two or three things to go wrong or two or three players to be out. And suddenly this United team looks pretty average again and back to some of the things that we saw last season. And so I think it, it just reinforced how important it is for us to keep improving this squad, keep improving the way that we're playing and keep learning how Ten Hag wants us to play. You know, we're still far from the finished article. It's been easy to sort of think that everything was sunshine and rainbows and that United were going to, you know, be in this title race and that this squad was a, the finished article already. And it's certainly not. So I, I don't think it changes what we think we need. I think we all knew that we need another midfielder. We need we need a striker. We need better depth, especially in midfield. So I don't think it changes any of that really, but I think it does. It just makes you feel like it's a lot more urgent than maybe we did a couple of weeks ago.
0: Yeah. My final comment on the on the Arsenal game before we move on. The celebrations for Lissandra Martinez's first United goal uh, were very, very good. I was uh, I was in row seven of the away end with uh, I've was down in London, staying at at my parents' house where I have an Argentina flag left over from when I went there a few years ago, which some very long time listeners may remember uh, me recording from from Buenos Aires. Uh, Picked up an Argentina flag there and I thought, we'll take it to the game. And then yeah, was in row seven and I, I completely forgot I had it on me when he scored and my brother was like, where's the flag? Where's the flag? So he whipped it out and was kind of swirling it around with Martinez just a few feet away just going the Terry Butcher style headband (laughs) diving into the away end. And you just thought this, uh, he is just the best character, the best character. Um, Was,
1: Was there another Argentina flag in the United away end? Did you notice or were you the only one? Uh,
0: there were there were a few floating about. I don't know at the time of the goal, I wasn't really seeing anything right, around me.
1: Right <laughs> after the goal on on TV, or well, at least on the TV that I was watching, there was like a shot of people all wrapped around an Argentina flag. But I could, I was, I, I thought that you might be in there somewhere, but I couldn't see if it was actually. <laughs> maybe you were behind the flag.
0: Possibly, yeah. There were definitely a few going around, but yeah, I haven't got a clue at the, at the time of the goal. <laughs> um, I actually did my. Did my ankle really badly the night before the game. So Saturday night and then ended up in A&E, came down to London for the game and borrowed some crutches off a a mate. (laughs) It it was really painful, this ankle thing. The pain, I cannot, in the most incredible way, just disappeared, like completely disappeared. And since the goal, my ankle still hurts a bit, but it's like it's kind of been healed. So, Lisandro Martinez, miracle worker,
1: <laughs> and a great header, by the way, as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, I love him, love him. Let's uh, let's move on. We're going to do second guess the player clue, and then. We will go into a Patreon bonus Q&A in the middle of the show. Then after that, we'll do youth, loan and women's roundup. And then we'll preview the game against Nottingham Forest. So your second clue, bear in mind, the first clue was my dad worked as a bricklayer. I tried it for a day and realised I had to become a footballer. Your second clue is my first game in senior football was with Lionel Messi's first club. My first game in senior football was with Lionel Messi's first club. Do you want to brave it and have a guess? Or do you want to wait until clue three?
1: Well, I think I might have a guess, but I want to talk through this to make sure I'm not being an idiot. So I'm pretty sure Messi's first club was Newell's old boys. I'm pretty sure he was there before he went to Barca. So then I'm trying to think, most likely if it's the first game in senior football, it's going to be an Argentinian player. United famously haven't had many Argentinians over the years. Verón, obviously back in the early 2000s, but Garnacho, but he didn't start in Argentina. He was born in Madrid, was at Atletico before coming to United. So then it sort of comes down to Verón or the man we were just talking about, Lissandro Martinez. And I guess...
0: Yeah, I mean, you haven't mentioned a couple of Argentinians still, but...
1: Yeah, I'm sure I'm forgetting some that... Well, Tevez is also there. That's a good point. It could be Tevez. Would you put Tevez in there though, given his history with Man City and everything?
0: Well, there's no there's no rules on morals. We've on just been talking player.
1: about him. Well, I know, but... I, I know there's no, there's no rules, but just thinking... Given we were just talking about him, I'll, I'll guess... Lissandro Martinez.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. You you didn't mention Di Maria.
1: Was it actually him? Oh. Yeah, Lissandro oh, Martinez. Yeah, you literally mentioned him earlier in the episode as yeah.
0: well. Didn't mention Di Maria, who started with Newell's rivals, Rosario Central. Um but yeah, he didn't play for play for Newell's. Neither did Carlos Tevez. He started with Boca Juniors. Well, he played for a, a junior team as well, but Mainly Boca Juniors youth team, but yeah, Isandro Martinez, Newell's old boys.
1: Messi, Messi never actually made no. any senior appearances to, for Newell's, did he? They moved to Barcelona when he was like fifteen. was e- Yeah,
0: even younger. Um, I was trying to throw you off. I thought because okay. then you might, you might, you might debate between whether Newell's counted as his first club or whether Barcelona. Right, was. right, right. The third clue would have been another a slightly mysterious one in my nickname is an old profession oh okay I was trying to make it hard because it it, it's got to be hard when it's a current player you can't you can't make it too easy right let's go to our patron Q&A and then we'll be back
1: afterwards with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time
0: Both under 21s and under 18s had dramatic 3-2 wins. The 21s away at West Ham, who went two goals up, dominated in the first half. United came back in the second half, three goals. Joe Hugo with a penalty first, then Mark Gerrard to equalise, and then 85th minute, Sonny Aldeferi winner. That's a a great win for them. As I think I've I've mentioned a couple of times, United had a a, a really not a really poor first half of the season, but you might have looked at it and thought that's really poor. Loads of draws, too many draws. Uh, seven, which is the, still the most in the league after 15 games played. Uh, I think it was seven from 12. And so to get another win, uh, and complete the full comeback is, is great for them. The under 18s beat Liverpool 3 2. Slightly, slightly less dramatic in that United went ahead through James Scanlon. Liverpool equalized with a penalty. Then they had a player sent off, Shea Lacey, the very young winger. Uh, playing playing really well and, and helping contribute to Liverpool's Callum Scanlon being sent off in the second half. Then Manny Norquette scored a typical striker's goal to put United 2-1 ahead. Jace Fitzgerald scored the third, an absolute screamer of a goal. One definitely worth seeking out a video of on Twitter or YouTube or whether, wherever. Just a, an incredible strike against Liverpool which must have been immensely satisfying for him. Uh, and Liverpool got one back in the 93rd minute but United won that game 3-2. The under-18s are currently for interest not that it matters hugely are currently third in the under 18 Premier League but have played fewer games than pretty much everyone there's going to be as there was last season when the team had to play two games in two days there's going to be a real build up of fixtures towards the end of the season which is a shame uh, but does produce some interesting development opportunities Jack the low There's only one man stealing the headlines again, isn't there? Yes,
1: yeah, there is pretty much every week. Yeah. It was another great week for, for Ahmad Diallo as he continues to shine at Sunderland. On Thursday, he was named as the Fans' Championship Player of the Month for December. Recognition for his brilliant form in getting Sunderland towards the playoffs. And then he completely backed that up with another brilliant performance as well. He helped Sunderland beat Middlesbrough for the first time in, I think it was eight and a half years. Beat Michael Carrick's Middlesbrough, obviously, in a very sort of United-themed game. Ahmad played brilliantly throughout the game and capped off his performance with a, with a goal with ten minutes from the end to cap off the win for Sunderland. Middlesbrough were down to ten men. Michael Carrick's team still going well, in, firmly in the playoffs, playoff places in the Championship at the moment. But Ahmad is propelling Sunderland, you know, to to great heights. And Tony Mowbray, Sunderland manager, said after the game. He is in absolutely no doubt that Ahmad has the quality to play for United's first team at the moment. So Ahmed continues to do well. It's slightly less positive for Ethan Laird at QPR. He had to go off injured after 38 minutes. It's disappointing for him. He's had a really good spell in, in West London so far. QPR manager after the game was asked about Ethan Laird's in- injury and he's, he said it's a hamstring it was bad enough to force him off mm. so it's not looking good and you know mentioned how well Ethan had been playing and how much of a big miss it would be for QPR if he's out for a, a significant amount of time yeah, he's
0: got a bad injury record as well
1: yeah and again massive shake because he's, he's had such a positive spell at QPR so far and he's a really important player for them QPR will miss him a lot so fingers crossed it's only a, a low grade tear or straight strain of the ham- hamstring in the other loan news from players that are already out on loan, Hannibal Medgebrey, he had a disappointing day for Birmingham. They lost to Alvaro Fernandes. Preston. Alvaro Fernandes didn't get on the pitch. Hannibal did start for Birmingham, uh, but was hooked after just over an hour after a pretty disappointing game for him. Was, then sorry in, to, to interrupt.
0: there was a good interview with Troy Deeney in the times at the... At the weekend, uh, I think he was on match today as well, which I have obviously avoided given United lost. But yeah, Deany spoke about Hannibal and Teeth Chong uh, and kind of the more about academy graduates from United. He said, I always find the ones from United have the right attitude. There's a desire to be better. They're always respectful. Never about money with them. I've had people from Chelsea and other clubs and it's money motivated first. Whereas at Man United's it's, I want to be the best of the best. There was a, a longer quote. It's a quote. It's worth reading the full thing. But it was very complimentary of of Hannibal and Chong's attitude. Attitude's a, a strange thing with Hannibal because he definitely has the the winning mentality. But there's there's problems with his kind of reaction to to things going wrong in games that he needs to. Needs to improve. There was a recent game uh, against Burnley in a three 0 defeat, where the Burnley manager had to take him off because he thought he was going to get a red card when he was on a booking. You, you can have that with some players, but it's not something you can imagine Ten Hag would be overly infused by, is it? But yeah, just uh, interrupt on Hannibal. Anything else? Burnley
1: have a bit of a mad team, you know, as well. If you, I don't know if you've seen just some of the players in their team. It's a, a real mix of of like former young stars, and then people like really coming to the end of their career. They've got John Ruddy in goal. Yeah. Troy Deeney up front. they got Tahith Chong playing alongside Hannibal. they got Christian Bierlich as well, who used to be sort of a little wonder kid who came to Arsenal a few years ago, which is a really sort of weird yeah. team. Then the other low news was Shola Shorotire has got a low move away from United for the rest of the season. He's gone to league one side Bolton. He made his debut this weekend just a couple of days after moving. Uh, Bolton lost to Derby, uh, but Shola Shorotire came on. He had some nice moments. He came on just after the hour mark. Had some nice moments, but wasn't able to help Bolton salvage a point. Derby scored a late goal to eventually run out 2-0 winners. Bolton manager Ian Evatt, though, spoke really highly of Chorotere after the game, saying how excited he is to have him there. And so expect him to have a lot more opportunities as the season progresses at Bolton. Uh,
0: the only other bit is Maxioli. This has gone under the radar a bit, but Maxioli uh, who's a midfielder, won the FA Youth Cup last season. Didn't play loads of game. Came, scored against in the first round again, or the first round that United played. The third round of the FA Youth Cup against Scunthorpe. I think he scored another goal in the run as well. I can't remember exactly. But yeah, he, he played well in that, but was kind of overshadowed by Kobe Mainu and the midfield of Mainu Gore and Isaac and was pretty settled. So he definitely didn't get loads of chances, but has this season, uh, has some real potential. He's got physicality. He's got really good ball control, strength. His passing's good. He's got a decent shot on him. Um, he's got his first loan move to Ultringham although he's still been training with United at Carrington. it's not quite clear at the moment whether he'll be training with United and playing sometimes for Ultringham or whether he's just training United for a few more days before properly going there until the end of the season but that's a, a good opportunity for him as for United women a very good weekend there was a bit of controversy in WSL because loads of canceled pitches, which is uh, (laughs) loads of canceled pitches, loads of canceled games because of frozen pitches, a lot of complaints about the the way that's been handled, late cancellations, but also just the fact that those games shouldn't be getting canceled in one of the best women's football leagues in the world. United's game did go ahead at Reading. Katie Zellan missed a penalty in the first half and it looked like being a really frustrating day for United until Rachel Williams off the bench three minutes after coming on scored the winner in a tight 1-0 victory that sent United top over Chelsea. 11 games played, 9 wins, 1 draw, 1 defeat, 28 points and they lead Chelsea, they're they're level on points but lead Chelsea on goal difference. Arsenal have a game in hand, 3 points behind with a worse goal difference. So United's position at the top is safe just for now, but yeah, United top of the league, going for the title, certainly going for the top three. We'll, we'll see how things go. Jack, we, we haven't got long, but Noss Forest in, in the League Cup semi-final, rest or not rest for various players? How strongly do you want Eric Ten Hag to, to go for this one?
1: Well, I think you absolutely obviously want to go, you want to make sure you're strong enough to win the game, but I would definitely be in favour of giving some players a rest Especially yeah. given how just it how many games be in two you've had. Legs, isn't it? It, it does help being two legs. I mean, something that may seem like it goes stronger than we expect is that we play Reading at home and at the weekend in the FA Cup. So that yeah. is obviously also a game you would earmark for rest. So it wouldn't surprise me to see Ten Hag go strong in this one and, and rotate a lot more against Reading. But I think over the next, you know, if the three games, next three games are Nottingham Forest twice and then Reading in the FA Cup in between. I think you, you don't really want to see any player at least not any sort of any player that usually starts every game. You don't want to see anyone playing all three of these games from the, from the start.
0: Yeah. It's a good opportunity for some of them to literally just play one game. Ten seems to do what Ferguson always did and keep those big players on the bench rather than leaving them out entirely. So like when Rashford's rested, he's, he's still yeah. on the bench and able to be called upon. Which I think
1: is the best way to do it. I agree. Yeah.
0: Otherwise you, you come in for, well, you need that option there. You, you need it there. Players are, are, are there to so be right sorry against Charlton? Yeah, exactly. So uh, I expect a lot of them will be will be on the bench, but it's it's a real opportunity for him that I'm sure he'll take to to get some rest levels and fitness levels back up uh, over the three games. You're right, Reading's the clearly the one to rest in. The fact Forest is is two legs means United could come away with a one nil defeat and still be confident of progressing by coming back to Old Trafford.
1: And, and I wouldn't also wouldn't surprise me if you see United go strong in the first leg try and wrap this up, you know, get, you know, three nil wins, something like that. And then you can really rotate a lot in the second leg, but you know, playing, I think it'd be easier to do that if you're playing at home in the first leg, because then I think you'd have a lot of confidence that we could sort of run away with it away from home. Our form has been a little bit patchy. Yeah,
0: absolutely. It's very hard to give a prediction given we don't know which, which kind of method of that he's going to go for. So not sure we can give one. It's more of a, a two legged affair, but uh any other thoughts before we we wrap up?
1: I guess rather than a specific prediction, you think United will comfortably get through as everyone is sort of expecting? Yeah.
0: Yeah, you have to be. The only um, the only other thing I'll mention is uh, a bit of good news, fan-related news, in that the executive seats which were put into the heart of the Stretford End in the 1990s, possibly the worst example of the commercialisation of football, the very heartbeat of United's traditional support taken away from them. They are to be removed from the start of the 2024-25 season. So it's about 18 months for, for that to happen. But uh, various groups, including Must and TRA, have campaigned for this for years. And everyone's been uh, f- fuming about it for a couple of decades now. And uh, the campaign has finally been won. The, the reason that's good news is because, there, there's nothing wrong with people buying executive seats for football matches. That's great, but they shouldn't get in the way of creating a, a vibrant and organic atmosphere at Old Trafford. So uh, at the moment, those executive seat sections, which the people in them tend to sing less and be less vocal in their support, is sits right at the heart of Stretford End and prevents an atmosphere kind of developing between the right side and the left side of the Stretford End. So that's a good piece of good news to to reflect on as we wrap up for more from jack throughout the week you can find him on twitter at
1: at utd tapes, t-a-i-t
0: and you can find me at harry robinson 64 and the podcast itself at utd weekly pod that's p-o-d at the end there if you've enjoyed the show please leave us a review on whatever platform you choose to listen to it helps us massively and we will speak to you very soon have a great week goodbye
1: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW proof. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.